The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that big, beautiful town bank building. We are also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is directly across from Winkies and Kitty Corner from Sendix. And we're now able to service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. If you would uh, like to know a little bit more about us, go to ellenbecker.com. We have some new pictures up that you can look you know every so often you, you you age and you have to you got to update these pictures and talk about aging I was just looking my guest today is Michael Roth and he's the founding principal of Stark Investments and Michael you have been on the show since March of 2002 amazing it is amazing. It is amazing. So um, when you talk about aging or what I think we're seasoned, we've got 16 years here that we've been talking on the radio, and that's out of doing the show 28 years. So um, a lot has come and gone through the eyes of money sense. And so today's the day, though, that we get to see um, what is gone through Mike Roth's eyes <laughs> <laughs> on these whole. And stick around because we are going to talk a little bit about programmable money, Bitcoins 101, a little bit because everybody's talking about it. But let's, let's, what, what have you seen through all of these years? And what does it look like today? You were on the show November of two, last year, not too long ago. So a lot's happened. Well, yes, a lot's happened in some respects. And in other respects, <laughs> nothing's happened and nothing's changed. I, I guess, obviously, for most people, uh, the experience of the first quarter of this year uh, was um, interesting, and that's a word and a half. Uh, we started the year in January very much like we ended the year uh, after we had uh, met in November. Obviously, it was a very good end to the year. The markets were very positive. Uh, they were very positive to start the year. All of the trends seemed to be continuing in place. If anything, I think people were getting even more bullish because it looked more and more like we were going to have a change in uh, tax policy. The tax cuts were starting to look more and more like they would come to fruition. Um, there was uh, prospects and more and more talk about fiscal stimulus. The government was going to step up spending. So I think the markets were getting very excited about all of all these positive developments, a lot of pro-business type of government activity. Uh, and so as a result, you look at January, the markets were on fire. Uh, you look at the global in indices for, for all stock markets around the world. I think the, the uh, uh, top was around 5 or almost 6%. Um, everyone was feeling very good. And then in February, all of a sudden, wham! Right? <laughs> the bottom <laughs> fell out. Or you might say reality began to, <laughs> to rear its ugly head. As, as the saying goes, you can ignore reality but you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. <laughs> and so what, what began to manifest itself were some of the trends we talked about in November. So what remained in place, despite all this enthusiasm, was we still uh, have a situation where uh, a lot of what has gone on over the past several years, you can almost go back eight years or so, uh, has been this mounting problem of debt. So let's, let's just get to the headline because – 
Um, there's certainly a lot of noise over the last several months. Uh, and you have to separate the noise from the signal. And, and so what, what, what's really, uh, uh, what really matters at this point? That's what you have to isolate. So if you just looked at what was going on, well, in February, why did the markets go down? Why did we start to see all this volatility? And as we know, volatility is always a word used when markets are going down. You never hear about <laughs> volatility when the markets are going up. So, so why were the markets going down? Well, there's, there's lots of things you could, you could point to. Uh, we had rising interest rates. So you look at the 10-year Treasury, and the reason that's important is that a lot of consumer interest rates and business interest rates are pegged to that. So when the 10-year interest rate moves up, it affects the uh, interest rate payments, the costs for everyone. So that's why it's, it's, it's key. And that began inching more and more toward 3%. And it's a big psychological number. People like to think in terms of round numbers. And so as it approached 3%, people began getting nervous. Why was it approaching 3%? Well, we were starting to see inflation, and inflation concerns were starting to come up. So you had rising uh, oil prices. Oil prices now have been pushing towards $70 a barrel. Uh, it wasn't uh, more than a few uh, two years ago when they were close to $26 a barrel, and people thought that was going to be a permanent situation. So the resurgence in oil prices, the resurgence in commodity prices, you're starting to see uh, the consumer price index 2%, which is where the Fed has had its targets. So you have inflation, which triggers rising interest rates, which triggers concerns in the stock markets over, oh my gosh, um, if the cost of debt to consumers and businesses goes up, that hurts the economy. It hurts business. It hurts retail. Uh, so that that is part of what was going on. In addition, uh, as February uh, rolled into March, you started having trade tensions, all this talk about tariffs and the uh, Trump administration moving to essentially try to uh, respond to what it, it viewed as the inequities in trade between the United States and China and some of our trading partners. And that unnerves the markets because anything that might disrupt trade and business is potentially problematic for, for stocks. Uh, you also had geopolitical tensions. So you had all of these issues around what's been going on in Syria. At this point, there's always seems to be <laughs> geopolitical tensions, but it was another brick on the load, you might mm -hmm. say. Uh, and then you had um, some of the leading tech stocks suddenly coming under pressure uh, because all of a sudden there's these regulatory concerns over privacy, the Facebook situation and Google. So the prospects that both European and U.S. regulators – might start clamping down on that business. And it's, it's a huge, huge business, this business of mining data. It's a $50 billion type of business. Uh, all of these things started hitting the market. Uh, so as I said, there's a lot of noise, a lot of things you could point to as, as causing this volatility, which we continue to see into in, this quarter. Things have stabilized in a sense, but you still see the market moving up and down a lot more, being a lot more, quote, unquote, volatile, uh, than it was uh, in the past several quarters. But I would, if I were to point to one thing, it's the interest rates. That is really a problematic factor because, as we've said before, uh, the reason we, we are where we are now is because there's been essentially this mountain of debt that, that was created to try to stabilize the system after 2008. 
And we stand at a, situ- at, a, at a point now where you could go through all kinds of different metrics as to where we are, from the national U.S. debt being some $20 trillion, to global debt being probably north of $240 trillion. I mean, these are just astronomical numbers. And you, could, you can look at consumer credit. It's at an all-time high. Student loans, all-time high. Uh, auto loans, all-time high. I mean, it, there's a lot of debt in the system. And <clears throat> debt in and of itself is not problematic as long as you can service it. As long as you can pay your debt bills, you're fine. But when the price of that payment goes up, i.e. interest rates start mm-hmm. to go up, then the whole system starts to look problematic. And they can't just keep printing money. Well, they can keep printing it, but at some <laughs> point, you're, you're going to have to get a wheelbarrow to buy yes. your bread because, you know, that's the problem. Right. You, you can print money, but you have a devaluation problem at some point. So, uh, so I would say right now, a lot of different things were going on in the first quarter that caused the markets to come off of these all-time highs. But I would say, if, if nothing else, uh, the psychology of the market was shaken. People's complacency with, boy, this is, this is too good to be true. Yes, it, it is too good to be true. Um, and there are problems out there. Now, on the other side of it, you can say, well, but the economy looks decent. Yes. Uh, unemployment's at near all-time lows. Yes. Um, and it looks like the global recovery seems to be on. But that in and of itself is, is a bit of an illusion, as I said, because we still have an issue of debt that created a lot of this. So uh, real estate, uh, stocks, all of these things have been at all-time highs because all this debt was created by the central banks. So if I were to point to, to one factor, I, I did say interest rates, but what's really behind what's going on with interest rates? Uh, yes, there are inflation concerns. But it's really the central banks, which are, which are running the show with interest rates. And if there's been one big change, if you said, well, well, has anything really changed? Things seem to be getting better. Well, the big change has been the Fed has got a new, a new person running it now, Powell. And they are trying to normalize interest rate policy. So we've had this period now. It's hard to even... Uh, uh, Can't even imagine. Imagine that we've been <laughs> at almost zero interest rates for so long. I interest know. rates have been so low. Um, if, if you're like us, you've been around for a while, you have a greater appreciation for how how Bizarre weird. it is. It absolutely is bizarre that you've had interest rates so low. The, the, the average long-term interest rates, the, if you would say, what's the sort of normal risk-free interest rate? It's a lot closer to 5% something like 4.73%. Mm-hmm. And we've been at almost zero, and now we're inching up slowly. We're almost at 3%, but we're still almost uh, 200 basis points below what is the long-term average. Uh, so the Fed has been trying to get itself out of a trap. It created all this liquidity, created these conditions way back in 2008 to save the system. But at the same time, it knows that this is not normal, Interest rates should be higher, particularly as inflation is starting to appear now. Uh, so how does it get rates back up to a normal level without crashing a system that's become dependent upon those low rates? Well, and at the same time, we've got tax laws changing 
with the so it's also affecting I, to some degree how people are viewing those interest rates. For example, home equity lines of credit they can no longer deduct the interest, and people put a lot of debt on those home equity lines of credit because the effective rate was actually lower because they could they could deduct interest, and that's all changed. Right. So there's all kinds of factors in it that are kind of screwing up how people are trying to figure out how to think about it. And worse yet, you talk to an accountant, they go, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we can only guess that maybe, but we don't know. So there's a lot of uncertainty. Exactly. And so when you have that uncertainty, you see what happens in the markets. Markets don't like uncertainty. They like things that look certain, even, even if it's an illusion. <laughs> They, they like the illusion of certainty, and what we <clears throat> excuse me what we saw in the first quarter was these 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 problematic aspects starting to come forward, and the markets reacted to it, and they didn't react well. Well, let's take a break, and let's talk about what your crystal ball. I saw you bringing that big ball in that bag there. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it's not a bowling ball. I'm guessing that you bought. <laughs> Something that's going to give us a, a little taste of the future. My guest today is Mike Roth, and he's the founding principal of Stark Investments right here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And with that, we will be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Michael Roth. He's the founding principal of Stark Investments. And we are talking about the economy and the market. And we have been talking about it since March of 2002. And it's I, I, I know that a lot has happened. And like you said, some things are new, some things are old. But it seems like we've had these types of conversations since 2002. Well, absolutely correct. <laughs> and the scary part is that if you've been in the market for a long time, as we have, you understand uh, the nature of uh, the cycles and how you have these periods of time when things are going well, and then you have periods of time where things are rough. And you now have a whole generation of people in the markets because it's, it's sort of a young person's game who have only been in – they've had careers spanning 10 years, and they've never seen a, an adverse period. Right. They've never seen a down market. And so uh, I think on the one hand, that certainly feeds this complacency we were talking about earlier because if you've never really experienced it, this seems normal where the mm -hmm. market is always up and always achieving new highs – and the wind always is at your back, and interest rates are almost near zero. And there's zero. new companies out coming constantly. Exactly. And it, it's, <laughs> it all, it's wonderful. It's just, this is fantastic. But we know that um, it's not always fantastic <laughs> and that markets go down and that conditions uh, can be adverse. And there's this thing called a recession that you can occasionally have in your economy. And when things get really, really bad, uh, people who have been uh, in the markets even longer <laughs> than us can tell you there can be depressions. Um, so uh, it's, it's a little um, um, nerve-wracking in a sense to think that there's all these people uh, who have never experienced this, and they're going to. There's going to be a recession. They haven't repealed the laws of financial <laughs> physics or economics. Uh, and how are they going to react? Uh, when, when, when they start to get this adverse wind in your face as opposed to the wind in your back. And it's difficult to say now to crack open the crystal ball and, and, and look into the future, at least maybe even just the, the near future. You know, are, are we at a point now where we're starting to see some of that adverseness come through, you might say, um, where uh, conditions are turning more difficult? 
certainly uh, you're, uh, you're, you're entering into a period where the abnormal monetary policy, they're trying to bring that to an end. So this zero interest rates, free and easy money period, the, the, the central banks know that can't last. And they've been trying to ease back to a more normal policy, to higher interest rates. Uh, particularly now, they're worried that we're starting to see inflation, and they've got to keep inflation under control. And part of that is making sure that interest rates are higher, so there's not too much money chasing too few goods, which is what causes inflation. So now that the punch bowl is starting to get taken away, uh, which is the way they always describe it. I don't know where the punch bowl thing came from, but that's the classic way of describing it. And things become a little more volatile and a little more adverse. Um, you know, uh, how are people going to react to that? So I think we saw a little bit of it in the first quarter, February and March. People didn't react well initially. Um, and uh, I wouldn't say there was panic or anything else, but I think people are nervous now because they're edgy. Well, and, and they're very edgy. I think they're they're not stupid. They're conscious of the fact that there are issues out there. But when everything seems to be going so well, you tend to discount it. You tend to say, yeah, I know there's problems, but geez, everything seems to be going fine. The market keeps going up. So I'm just going to ride that wave. And now when all of a sudden it, it, it comes back at you and people who uh, had been uh, conditioned to, wow, the market goes down, I buy that dip. Because mm-hmm. you know what? I've made money every time. Well, market goes down, you buy the dip, and guess what? You get smacked, mm-hmm. and you lose money. You go, oh, wow. How'd uh, that happen? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> market goes down again, so you say, okay, I'll buy this dip. And then, wham, you get a loss because the market goes down again. And it, it, it just reminds people of the risk factor, the risks that are out there. And so I, I think the big change, uh, at least for the next several months, perhaps through this year, is that people now are very more cognizant of risk. Wow, things are going on. Um, there's uh, uncertainty around what's going on with the trade policy, um, interest rates. The Fed seems like it's now going to raise interest rates at least three times this year, maybe four. That's probably not great for the market. And so now they're forced to do much more thinking around, okay, the, the economy seems to be okay. Um, unemployment certainly very good. We're at very low periods. You know, China's having problems. Germany's having problems. Hmm. You know, that's probably not great for the global uh, recovery story. Uh, so it, it, all these things, now, now it doesn't seem so clear cut or one way. Now there seems to be something on the other side of the scale that causes concerns. And so people get more cautious. You know, maybe I'm going to pull back some. Maybe I won't be so quick to buy uh, the dip if it goes down. And that's what you're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. The market is sort of in a range at the moment. It obviously took a, a, a pretty significant leg down in the first quarter um, into, and it's sort of been hovering between positive territory and negative territory. And uh, kind of flat. Yeah, on any given day now, market could be up or down, but it's really being driven by some uh, headlines mm-hmm. more than anything else. And I think people are, are are uncertain as they should be because this is a period of more uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So, what does that mean in terms of where we go from here? Well, hard to tell. Other than the fact that what is certain is that 
the central banks, absent a calamity, are going to continue to tighten conditions. They're going to continue to raise interest rates because they're trying to get back to a more normal level. And that's going to make things more difficult in terms of debt service. And it's going to make it more difficult for companies who have been doing all these stock buybacks based on easy debt. So as I said, I I think you're going to enter a period of more volatility. I don't think necessarily the market crashes from here. I don't think it necessarily goes back into autopilot, Mm -hmm. new highs every day mode. Uh, So you're going to have to be smarter. You're going to have to be uh, smarter about um, the things you own. But if you own good, solid investments, uh, this is not a period where I say all of a sudden, you know, things have changed to the point that you should panic or try to get out of things that you've worked very hard to build into your portfolio. Do you know, Mike, it's... um it's this, I think, has to be one of the toughest times for people who are doing their own investing to try and be able to get their hands on the pulse of everything that's going on because there's so many things going on in the market and it's going on 24 hours a day that it really has become difficult. And the old theory of buy something and hold it just doesn't work anymore. I mean, what you said is absolutely true. People have to be really aware of what their plan is. They have to understand what's going to happen when the market goes down, what what can they expect when the market goes up, and really understand what they own and pay attention to their plan because the whole idea of rebalancing and knowing where your risk is is a really important factor. Absolutely. Earlier we sort of referenced the idea that you have to separate the signal from the noise. And the noise has never been louder. Uh, just like everything else in our lives now, it's information overload dialed up to you know, uh, uh, 11. Uh, <laughs> because you can at any given point in time be inundated with uh, commentary and, and financial news. And it's very hard to sort through it and try to figure out, well, what does it all mean? What's really important here? To me. Exactly. Given my portfolio, given where I am in my life and what my financial goals are, um, how do I sort through all of all of this information and try to make sense of it? And I think you have to go back to very fundamental concepts and fundamental ideas and trust what you've done. If you've taken the time to educate yourself and to make good investments and to build a good portfolio, yes, you have to be aware of the news and what's going on. Uh, but you can't be trying to react to every headline because you will whipsaw yourself into <laughs> poverty. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. My guest today, let's take a break. And uh, it seems like to me that every year or every other year, something comes to the market that is confusing, difficult to understand, whether it be some type of bond issues or it be a stock portfolios or real estate. And now we got Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like when people have the the most scrutiny on what's happening in the market, something comes along like Bitcoin and everybody goes unconscious. And so with that, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, let's let's talk a little bit about what that means and what it looks like. 
Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Michael Roth. He's the founding principal in Stark Investments right here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Mike has been a guest since March of 2002. And I look at all of the dates here and all the times that we talked. And um, typically it's the end of the year, middle and those types of things and watching the market and we've we've talked about so many different strategies and so many different things that have um reeled their ugly heads so to speak <laughs> which have you know real estate some of the things that just have blown up and we talk about that recession and depressions and we talk about things that cause you know anxiety and uh, volatility in the market and I happened to be at a retreat this weekend, and sure enough, I was cornered about Bitcoin. And what did I think about it? And I said, well, you know, if you're if you're willing, whatever you put in it, just be willing to lose. And if you can afford to lose what you put in it, that's okay. But if you're putting money in it that you can't afford to lose, it's a stretch. It's a stretch. And so... Michael, you you follow all of these different strategies and these different things out there. What do you have to say about Bitcoin? Or we wrote in our little newsletter, Bitcoin 101. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Is there a 102, a 103? Or, I mean, how does this, how, you know, say how does it work? I don't know that anybody really fully understands it. Sure. Um, well, this whole concept of cryptocurrencies. Yes. Bitcoin being uh, the most famous and largest of, of many. But there, there are many different uh, so-called uh, cryptocurrencies right there. You could stop and say, well, wait, what? Well, it's really, it's hard to get your head around it um, because in a way it sort of sprang into existence and all of a sudden it was there, uh, almost literally. And anything can be used as money if someone is willing to take it and exchange something of value for it. So you and I could sit here right now and let's, let's create the money sense cryptocurrency. <laughs> And if I'm willing to give you something of value for it, right, all of a sudden, hey, we have a cryptocurrency. We, 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 we have something that someone's willing to give you something of value for this thing we just created. And you take the paper on it or you, well, take, the, it, you take the whatever it is. See, but that's the thing. And it's not paper. Uh, it's a digital thing. So it's, it's – um, it's like something you download. It's like music you download. It's, <laughs> it's, it doesn't really exist in any physical form. But as long as people in their minds are willing to say, okay, I'm willing to give you something for this thing, this, this digital thing, uh, it's a currency. Um, uh, I'm sorry, it's, 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 it's money uh, in that sense. But it's, it's not a currency in any sense that we would normally think of. Can't go to the bank with it. No. What you described earlier sounds more like a Vegas thing <laughs> than, <laughs> yes. than uh, a currency. Because when you think about uh, currency, there's certain characteristics uh, that current, true currency has. First of all, it's uh, legal, right? It's got the power of law behind it. Uh, why is that piece of paper with George Washington of value? Because it's uh, legal tender. And that legal part means that by law, it can be exchanged for value. Uh, so there's that. Cryptocurrencies, no. There, Not there's so much. no legal anything <laughs> behind it. Um, secondly, uh, when someone says, well, a, a currency uh, is a store of value, 
It has stability to it. So, yes, uh, uh, the dollar trades in value, goes up and down. But generally speaking, you don't see the type of um, volatility in value that you see with these cryptocurrencies. One minute they're worth $9,000 per Bitcoin, and then they're down 40%, and then they're up 50%. And so what is it worth today? I don't know. I got to go check because the volatility is so fantastically high. Uh, how can you possibly uh, want to get paid in something that could lose 40% of its value overnight? If, if the dollar had that kind of volatility, people would have the same reaction. It's like, wow, I don't want to take this piece of paper because there's no stability to it. So, so there's that. Um, in addition, um, you have uh, a, a problem with these uh, cryptocurrencies in that when you think about it, when someone says, well, how much is this Bitcoin worth? They say what? X dollars, right? Mm-hmm. X dollars. So what's the real um, measure of value here? You don't say, well, Bitcoin's worth Bitcoin. That, people don't know what that means. They go, well, what does that mean in dollars? Mm-hmm. That tells you all you need right. to know right there, right? <laughs> so you, you put all these things together, and, and what you really have here is a speculative investment vehicle. It could be tulips. It could, just like every other mania we've had before. Now, this one um, is dressed up with the idea that, boy, this could maybe be something in the future that becomes real money, real currency. Um, but it would have to have the attributes we just described. If it was backed by law and had a stable value to the point that it was referenced unto itself as, as opposed to dollars, so you could say Bitcoin is worth one Bitcoin. Everybody would mm-hmm. know what that means. Then you might be able to say, well, the idea of there being an electronic currency might make sense at some point. So that gives it a little bit more of a um, sort of aspect of legitimacy. But the reality is right now, it's just a thing that people bet on. It's a speculative investment vehicle. And what that means is that uh, to the extent that people are asking you about it, it's because it's gone up. It went up uh, in a meteor, like like a meteor. It it was just, it just went from, uh, 1,000 to 18,000, it seemed to happen almost overnight. And that gets everyone's attention because, of course, who doesn't like stuff that goes up in value and can make you money? Um, and, of course, what people don't like is stuff that goes down in value. They tend to sell <laughs> that. They, so, yes, they buy uh, assets that go up in value and they sell assets that go down in value. And so you now have a situation where some people think, boy, this is something I can make money in by betting on it. And it's easy. Well, I mean, it, and, and of course, once this idea takes hold, uh, a whole uh, a bunch of entrepreneurs get together and say, we're going to make it easy for you to trade this. We're going to create uh, trading exchanges. So all of a sudden, it's possible to buy and sell and trade Bitcoin or any of the other cryptocurrencies. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, it's another way of saying uh, we've created ways for you to bet on th- this thing, which we created. And you can bet on it going up, and you can bet on it going down. And at some point, uh, legitimate uh, establishment uh, institutions get interested in this because, wow, people seem to be betting on this. And um, uh, uh, if they want to buy and sell on exchanges, that's what we do. 
we normally do stocks and bonds and things like that, but we can do this this crypto thing just as well, right? <laughs> so so now you're seeing um, uh, a, a little bit more legitimacy behind it. But and again, all it is is a, a, a way to speculate on on this thing, and it's driven by supply and demand, just like everything else. So. Uh, Bitcoin and some of the other cryptocurrencies have been pulverized uh, in the last several uh, weeks and months because, well, guess what? The IRS is now into this <laughs> because they, from their perspective is, we don't care what you think this is. It's gambling to us. So if you've, if you've had gains, you owe us money. You owe, have to pay taxes on us. Well, this was a big shock to the system for all those <laughs> Bitcoiners out there because they thought that... Um, they were one up. Well, they thought that, <laughs> hey, I can make money here and doesn't seem to be on the radar of the taxing authorities. And uh, the um, real uh, shock to the system is, oh, wait a second. I am on the taxing authority radar <laughs> and they want their money. And so you saw people literally selling in front of, of tax season to create essentially money uh, in dollars because they have to pay their taxes in dollars. Now, you've seen a bit of a bounce back since then because now we're, we're obviously past April 15. So you've had a bit of a recovery in Bitcoin. But I think last time I looked, it was around $9,000. Wait for it because it, it'll change uh, <laughs> dramatically by the time this, uh, this thing actually gets aired. Um, but for the average person out there, uh, and I guess I would add one other aspect before I sort of give my final proclamation on it. It's also been uh, associated with illegal activity. Because if you are doing something you should not probably be doing and you're trying to get compensated for it or pay for it, um, you would like to have something that is not tracked. And um, currencies are tracked by banks. There's laws around the movement of, and payment of, of large sums. Uh, so uh, this cryptocurrency idea sounds pretty great to someone who would like to not have the authorities know what they're doing. So that's one more reason why you should be concerned, not so much because you're doing something wrong by trading it, but the authorities are, are not going to just turn a blind eye mm -hmm. to this, particularly if it there's involves— There's no one to hold accountable. Well, exactly, particularly there, I mean, involves illegal activity. You have, a, you have a company that's not—you can go back and look at books and you can go back and refer to things, but there's nowhere to go with this. It's mysterious. Right. Well, it's not going to remain <laughs> mysterious to the authorities because yeah. the IRS and uh, law enforcement people— uh, to the extent that uh, this has been taking place out of their purview, are not going to allow that to happen. And so there's going to be, if not regulation, certainly uh, heavy scrutiny, uh, and these exchanges are going to be uh, required to report trading activity, if nothing else, so the IRS can get its piece of the action. Uh, so I, I think you're going to see um, uh, sort of a uh, rethinking of boy, this seems to be an easy way to make money and I need to get into this and what's going on because uh, to the extent it even survives beyond it being this speculative betting uh, thing, uh, it's going to be more highly regulated and it's going to come under taxing scrutiny and that's going to change the game dramatically. My guest today is Mike Roth. He is a founding principal of Stark Investments and we're going to take a break and we will be right back. Sense of Karen Ellen Becker and my guest 
guest today is Michael Roth, and he's the founding principal of Stark Investments. And we have been talking about what's been going on in the world. We just finished with Bitcoin, which is which is definitely a, a topic out there. But there are so many other topics that are also affecting this uncertainty that people are feeling. And one of the things that with this uncertainty, sometimes people look for a, a thing to take their mind off of it. And I'm hoping that Bitcoin isn't going to be the be the be the answer to that because there really are a lot of things to be paying attention to. And I think that this is maybe uh, an important time to really understand where you are and what you have, but also to maybe just be more aware of, of how you're investing your money, how you're spending your money. And you know, when the market goes down, if you're in a good position, it's really a good time to buy more shares and, and to make hay. But so often people don't really think about that time frame. They're just sort of living for the moment. And um, and when the market does go down, they, they say, I lost money. Some people truly do lose money, and other people, their portfolios just go down and come back. Sure. It's, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's hard not to react to sort of the news of the day or what's going on in the market today uh, and have a longer-term perspective. But as we said earlier, you can really chop yourself up trying to, to trade headlines or react to short-term news. And there, there's lots of short-term news to react to. Um, for instance, uh, obviously a big topic right now is what's going on with uh, trade. Uh, and uh, the headlines are talking about tariffs and trade wars. And I think ultimately uh, you sort of have to look through the headlines and say, this this is going to get resolved, and that it's it's negotiating and it's it's positioning. Obviously, the Trump administration believes that the United States has been um, at a disadvantageous point with regard to trading with other countries. It's trying to get some leverage. It wants to get leverage so it can cut a better deal with China or cut a better deal with the Europeans. Um, and and to get to that leverage uh, requires it to do some of the things it's done, to threaten to uh, raise tariffs on certain products and ultimately bring people to the table. So I think a lot of what you're seeing right now, if you're just worried about what does all this trade you know, war mean and everything else, I don't think that ultimately the market is going to be impacted long-term by that. It doesn't like it in the near term because it creates uncertainty. What if, what if the Chinese do this or what if the Europeans do that? But ultimately, everyone has a bigger uh, goal here, which is, yes, everyone would be in favor of trade. Uh, but I think the uh, current administration wants it to be a fair deal. And, and so to get that fair deal, though, it's got to push back. And that's what you're seeing right now. So that's an example of something going on right now. Um, so another, it's not necessarily bad. Oh, no. <clears throat> I think it's, it's going to be good for the United States longer term. But you have to get to a position where how do you get the Chinese to give you a better deal? Mm -hmm. Well, you got to threaten them with, <laughs> you know, various sanctions. And you got to threaten um, them with uh, uh, not having access to certain uh, technology in the United States. That's how you get leverage. So uh, it's the art of the deal in, in, in Trump terms, you might say. Uh, so as I said, in the near term, if you just focus on what's going on right now, markets don't like it. Because markets don't like anything that, that creates some degree of uncertainty. 
But I think longer term, it's going to uh, create a more certain environment and a more uh, fair environment for U.S. companies and U.S. consumers. And predictable, a little bit more predictable. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, There are also uh, obviously headlines around things like if you just looked at the journal this morning, uh, concerns being raised around liquidity. Uh, And what I mean by that is uh, if you really want to turn around and sell some stock or buy some stock, how many shares are trading? And what we've seen is that it's getting harder and harder uh, to find a lot of, quote unquote, buyers and sellers in the market. Um, More and more activity is being done in uh, large ETFs or mutual funds. Uh, The banks, uh, ever since the financial crisis in 2008, have been encouraged to essentially not trade for themselves. That is, they don't have stocks that they own uh, uh, because to do so requires them to keep uh, a large amount of capital on hand, which they don't like to do. So more and more banks have said essentially, I can't sell you any stock because I don't have any. I can go out and try to find somebody. And so that whole process means that uh, when you go to buy stock or sell stock, Sometimes it's just harder to find somebody on the other side of the trade. Uh, and liquidity becomes a particular concern during times of stress. And, and the reason that's an issue would be, well, if the markets are going down and you're saying essentially I want to cut my losses mm-hmm. by selling, well, it, it could be a problem <laughs> to sell at the price you want to sell at because now you, you have to find someone who's, who's on the other side of the trade and it gets harder and harder to do that. So from, from your perspective and the perspective of the portfolios you build for your, um, for your clients, it means that when you put a portfolio together, you want some liquid portions, portions you, could, you can easily um, mm-hmm. make uh, into money, and you have longer-term investments that you don't really want to be trying to uh, sell during times of stress. Well, when I think about that, and that brings back one of the conversations that you and I had, I think it was probably back in 2002. I remember coming to you, and we were going through your facility and um, your trade room and all that, and I remember pulling you to the side and say, tell me about interest rates. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about how can I protect my clients in terms of this volatility because we were experiencing volatility. And I was really trying to come up with some kind of a strategy that would help them in times of um, poor liquidity, which is the market corrections. and, And we were really looking at people in retirement and preservation. And I remember sitting down with you and you really helped me look at the values of having that, um, having something in the bond market and something that was very predictable and taking the risk of maybe some lower interest rates because that was worth it when the markets were correcting and when you really had to start tapping into investments that had low liquidity, such as some of some of the high-quality stocks and even stocks that kind of bellied up for some people. And from there, I came up with the strategy of looking at having personal liquidity for seven years. So we've never seen a market down seven years. And if we can figure out and I don't refer to it as a budget because people really don't like that word. You talk about uncertainty. People do not like the word budget. But if I talk to my clients about cash flow 
and about treating their their portfolio as a business, they really get the understanding that what you want is you want to be certain that regardless of what happens to your business, that you have cash flow, that you can continue to pay your employees, keep your business going. And so many businesses fail because of poor cash flow. And so we look at in our portfolios having five years of income that you need on an annual basis that protects you knowing for certain that you have got what you need to live through these types of markets and two years of unexpected expenses. So we try to keep, after we figure out what their pension is and the money coming in and social security, how much do you really need to spend? And so we've built these ladders, which are absolutely have worked out amazingly. And then what I tell clients, because often people, when they in times like this, they worry about the uncertainty of um, liquidity. They hold a lot of money in money markets that aren't earning anything. And I tell them, well, you know, that's like having employees in the lunchroom smoking cigarettes and drinking <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Because too much money on hand isn't good either. And so it's it's these time frames that we really have to think about um, how liquidity and how these different things are going to affect you. And I have got my producer over there waving it. Am I really done? He says, yes, we've got to quit. We can't even finish. Maybe we should take out my part and put Mike back in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think you summed it up well. I think... Uh, it's uh, if you were to put it in one word, you'd say it's diversification. And yes, that that includes your liquidity profile. My guest today is Mike Roth. He's the founding principal of Stark Investments. I've got to quit. I'm getting the axe. And Mike, thank you so much. And as always, I hope I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. We'll see you in a couple more months, Mike. My pleasure. <laughs> Have a good thank weekend. Bye bye.